Now, speaking of suicide may have originated in the Highlands, but today's story comes from further afield because the podcast series is striking a chord with people from right across the UK and beyond. Suicide doesn't have geographical boundaries, so nor do we. So today I'm talking to Gemma, and hers is a success story because although Gemma struggled with an eating disorder for many years, which drove her to the brink of suicide, I'm pleased to say she's now well and here with me and happy to share her experiences in case they can help others. If you're listening to this and you find it difficult, remember you can press pause and I'll be giving the details out for Mikey's line a little bit later in the podcast. Gemma, before we dive into the detail of your story, if anyone is listening to this who's struggling with an eating disorder right now, what hope can you offer them? What, what would you say to them? I would say, please don't give up on yourself. Um, please, please, you know, seek support. Um, reach out, speak to people that love and care about you. Um, please, you know, don't deal with it alone. Um, it's a very, very, very isolating um, and difficult thing um, and you need the support of others. Um, and I suppose in my own experience, you know, recovery has not been a, a straight line. You know, it has, it's had lots of twists and turns and it's, it's not easy. Um, so please reach out, get help and get support. And, and it is possible. It is possible to have, you know, a, a life free of an eating disorder. Which is fantastic to hear but let's talk about your life when you did have um, an eating disorder how did it all start take me back um oh I don't know there was never a sort of a start date when it started or an end date when it ended but I do distinctly remember as a as a child I was very very young when um, I suppose started to develop I had a different body from everybody else and people noticed that and and I noticed that and I felt different and I felt that really that there was something wrong with me I felt I felt fat I felt you know I, I, I didn't like myself I had very very poor self-esteem um, and then you know when when people are, are you know talking about your body and and you know it, it's like, it, I felt like I was almost this you know it, it was like a, a a bit of gossip or something public and and that really really affected me it really had a huge impact on on myself and and what started then was probably a lot of exercising a lot of over exercising and you know um getting very very sort of obsessive about that and 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 disciplined and and then i um my my grandfather had uh, had a supply of um laxatives and one day I just decided you know this was a great you know this would this would maybe help I, I you know I loved my food and um, you know I was struggling to shift this weight and, and before you know what I was using laxatives and then finally um, vomiting you know it was it was really it, it, it was really really hard to sort of give a timeline um, because it you know it, it happened over the course of, of quite a few years um, before things got very, very serious, but um, and I suppose that's one of the complexities, isn't it, of an eating disorder? Is, is you know, it, it sometimes can take such a long time to to diagnose and and to even within yourself to be aware that that's going on. But but yeah, it, it definitely was something that dominated my very early childhood. 
very early childhood before your teens or yeah. on and into your teens? Yeah, definitely. So as I said, you know, I was I was I was ten. I, I was always, you know, I had a different body from my peers. I had a different body from, you know, um, everybody else. I had to wear a different uniform at school. I felt a little bit, you know, um, stigmatized, I guess. Um, and that continued right into my teenage years um, and into, you know, into my 20s as well. It was, it was, it was a long battle, um, but, but a battle I, I won. <laughs> so. so part of this was obviously about feeling that, that, that difference, feeling that you were, do you say, developing faster than everyone else. But I mean, what, what were you like as a, a, a young girl? Um, yeah, in, in, in character, were, were you tough on yourself by the sound of things? I absolutely, absolutely. I was very, very tough on myself. And again, I had, um, you know, I, I had this, this idea of what I needed to look like and, and what was, you know, what was the right way to look. And, and I felt that I didn't match that. And I felt that it was a failing on me as a, as a person. I, I felt that, that there was something that I wasn't doing right. So I internalised quite a lot of it. Um, you know, it, it, it wasn't somebody else's fault. It was my fault that I was this way. Um, and, and that was really, really difficult because, you know, I was very ashamed. And, and eating disorders are very, very shame, shameful things. You know, it was something very, very difficult to talk about, you know, my weight or, or you know, just how I was feeling anyway. But when I started to, you know, engage in in, in those sort of behaviours, you know, there wasn't really any way to to tell people. But but what I did instead was, I suppose, I internalised it within myself and, and my own. I suppose I became my own worst critic. <laughs> Where do you think those ideals came from in terms of how you thought you should look? Oh, you know what? It's it's it's. It's easy to look back now and sort of recognise some of those things, but at the time, you know, I, I just thought that's what everybody was supposed to look like. You know, there was, you, everybody was supposed to be thin and tanned and beautiful, uh, you know, and I was short and stubby. <laughs> and I didn't feel that I fitted that mould. And I felt, like, as I said, that there was something wrong with me or I was a failing on my part to not look that way. And I guess, you know, the media was a huge thing, you know, and I think back now about, you know, music videos and, and you know, some of the pop stars that were there at the time, you know, and, and actually, you know, looking back at people like, you know, Britney Spears and things, you know, I think what a terrible time she had in the media, what a terrible way that she was treated. But we, you know, I certainly, I saw that and I aspired to look like her. I remember, you know, doing hundreds and hundreds of sit-ups because I thought, Oh, if I do this, I'll I'll look like her, and you know, it, life doesn't go that way. But yeah, I, I definitely think there's something. There was definitely something about music videos. There was definitely something about you know everybody on sort of you know television looked the same. You know, um, and and I think now things are are changing in a way. I think there's a lot more body confidence and there's a lot more acceptance, um, but you still look at the TV and you still think, or social media or, you know, um, just culture. And there still is this, this you know, this, this ideal of a, of a certain body type, you know, certain, a certain way of looking. And, and I don't think that's, it has, it, things have moved so, for, so much forward in the, in the past few years, but it's still the same in, in some respects. 
How did you feel about yourself for what you were doing to yourself? Awful. Awful. Um, it's, it's a really strange thing to describe because, you know, part of why I did it was because I enjoyed is probably the wrong words, but I got something out of it. Um, for me, using laxatives or being sick and particularly binging and purging um, was a way to control. And, and when I used to do it, I had, I had, it was almost a ritualistic way. You know, I would, I would do things in a certain order, you know, I would, um, and I needed to have that. It was almost, this was my sense of control over the situation. Um, and, and I, you know, the reality was, as I felt good after it, I felt good. Um, and that's why I continued. And I suppose what happened was after a while, you know, you would feel good for a while and then you would feel sh just rubbish again. You would feel crap. Um, and, and I suppose as the years went on and as time went on, the time it took to feel crap, the time between it got smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, I suppose at the height of my eating disorder, I would binge and purge, you know, several times a day sometimes right you know I would I would binge I would purge you know five minutes later ten minutes later I would do it again you know the, the, the stress I was causing to my body when I was doing that but I was in such distress and it was the only thing that would make me feel better but it it only worked for a very very short amount of time and then I felt I had to do it again and it that was certainly the point in which my bulimia just spiralled out of control. It was it was a really difficult time. Well, you said it got to that extreme where you were doing it several times a day, but I mean, was it was it also in response to stressful situations? If you know, were there particular triggers that you could identify that oh, I've got to go and deal with this? Yes and no. Yes, there were definitely emotional things or, or things that I felt, you know. And again, I suppose eating disorders are. Are, you know, certainly in my experience, they're very insular, you know, there, there wasn't anybody to talk about it. I, I didn't speak about it with anybody. So it was all in my head, always in my head. And it was always there. As I said, that inner critic was always talking to me and, and never shut up. Um, and, and that was really hard to take all of the time. And sometimes to get that voice out of your head, binging and purging was the way to do it. And when I was binging, I felt better. When I was purging, I felt better. Um, you know, so it, it, it's, it's, it's really difficult because sometimes there were, you know, there were really particularly difficult things and, and that I felt I didn't have control of. And yes, I would binge and purge, but I could do it just because, just, just because some, you know, something in, in my head said, you know, you're a failure or you're crap or, you know, whatever it was that day. It didn't need to be a big, um, it didn't need to be a, big circumstance for me to do it. Was it always connected to um, how you looked? Was it always failure to do with not looking as you thought the perfect girl, woman, young woman should look? Or was it connected to failure in other ways? I think, yeah, it was definitely failure in other ways. And I think it probably started in, in this, this failure of, you know, trying to look a certain way and, and trying to be the certain, you know, size and be the same as everybody else but then as 
as time went on and as 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 the eating disorder went on and 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 worsened it 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 was completely self-sabotaging you know i i sabotaged everything in my life because i had an eating disorder you know i did it right through uni i i i did it through school i i did it through you know work i did it when you know my parents knew about it and it was causing them great distress i you know it was something that was i couldn't stop it was compulsive and all of the time in in in, in that inner critic and it was talking you know, it was saying you're a failure as a human being you're a failure you know you're you're not you're not going to school or you're not doing well at uni or you know you you you're upsetting your mom or you know um you're causing all of this stress so it it it, it was it, it became i just became a failure full stop that's how i felt um and definitely as as my, as it pro, as it progressed over the years, that failure got worse. But also, I blamed myself for everything that I maybe wasn't achieving or I wasn't doing, or you know, um, when actually the thing that was sabotaging everything was the fact that I had this eating disorder. It was the fact that you know I couldn't get out of my own head. You know, I couldn't. You know, um, I couldn't really live the life that I wanted to live because the whole time I was. Um, managing this well I can imagine I mean it sounds such an a profoundly confusing and conflicted way of of existing and, and being and if you were binging and purging that many times a day well, it must have just taken over everything I mean did you I can imagine you you know worrying through the whole of a day is also if, if this was a kind of guilty secret how you keep maintaining that kind of lifestyle but then keeping it from everyone else at the same time did that become quite a difficult thing to do absolutely absolutely it's funny you know it, it, it i suppose it ate away at me um because it was something that was you know i didn't discuss with anybody i couldn't share it with friends the, the shame and the stigma around it you know I, I couldn't speak to anybody about it i certainly wouldn't speak to you know my parents about it you know and and it was, it was very secretive. It was, you know, it was, it, you know, even, you know, having to time things when I, when I was at home and, and um, yeah. I, and even when that was, you know, when I, when I wasn't binging and purging, it was always on my mind. And again, that inner critic in me, you know, you've eaten this or you've not done this or, you know, why can't you be more like this person? Or, you know, why are you doing, you know, crap at school? And, and you know, it was just this, there was nothing that I felt that I could do right um, and and I think yeah I mean certainly how it, it it was a secret for a long time it was definitely a secret for a long time um, my my parents found out um, I was I was working a job in a restaurant I had a sort of summer job um, and again I was I was binging and purging as part of my uh, working you know um so that wasn't that wasn't great and I ended up in hospital I ended up with um with chest pains um it turned out I had I think I had inflamed a rib from um everything that I was doing and you know to have my my mum come into A&E and have to sort of say this is going on was it was just awful it was it was just probably one of the most awful things I've ever had to do in my entire life 
who say, I, you know, I, I, I have, I've been doing this for quite a while. Um, and by that point, how long had you been doing this? Oh, that's hard to say, but definitely, um, probably the 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 laxatives would have been maybe four years um and the and and the binging and purging maybe two so it was a long it was a long time i was able to hide it for a very long time and and almost i was proud of it um yeah you know i was proud that that, you know i thought oh i'm doing a good job of of hiding this but inside i was absolutely falling apart i was i was a mess so where where did that falling apart inside lead you to? I mean, how did you, how did all this impact on your, your mental health? It was huge. It was huge. I had, I had no confidence in myself. I, I, I probably did nothing to help myself. Um, you know, I, I, I was, um, I was a bit out of control. I felt out of control and I felt that everything was moving around me and I just couldn't, I just wanted to take a hold of it. And I suppose that's control. I just wanted to have that control. And, 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 and when things, you know, everything in my life that I had control over, I, I felt I didn't have control over, but the only thing that I could control was the fact that I could binge and purge, that I could, you know, this, it was, you know, it, it became so important, which is of course why, you know, it, it happened, you know, at, at its worst point repeatedly because I needed that just to gain a sense of control just to just to feel alive sometimes to be really honest um because I I started to get so numb inside and and it just it was it was a really horrible time before before I sort of started to seek help it really didn't feel I I just wanted it to end because I thought I can't live I can't live like this. This is not a life. If this is, my whole world is going to be dominated by, you know, binging, purging, using laxatives, you know, trying to do exercise, <laughs> trying to, you know, even things like, you know, um, like I couldn't sit still at that point. I, could, I would have to pace because I thought, well, I'm, I'm using up calories at that point, you know. So it just, it was, it, it was just absolute despair um, this this had just taken over my whole life you said you wanted it to end did you consider taking your life yeah yeah um, I attempted it um, I I did um, end up in hospital um, I ended up um, being treated as an inpatient for a few weeks um, and it was you know looking back on it now it, it was it was such a it, it, it was a it was a very reactive thing to do but i just i didn't know what else to do i just couldn't deal with it anymore and 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 i remember at the time just not being able to you know my my parents were so angry with me my mum was so angry with me and so frustrated and and i just thought i'm letting her down and i'm letting my family down and i'm letting myself down and 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 what's the point if this is if this is going to be my life if if all I'm ever going to do is just the same cycle um, I just thought no I, I don't want to do that anymore um, and that seemed the only way out it really really did it really did at that time 
I want to come on to talk about how things changed. Um, but just before I do, if listening to this is striking a chord with you, don't forget it is okay not to be okay. And if you need someone to talk to, you can text Mikey's line on 07786 207755 or contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter. And the number for WhatsApp is 01463 729 And that's Sunday to Thursday, 6pm to 10pm, Friday to Saturday, 7pm to 7am, or you can go and visit them. They are at The Hive, 19 Academy Street, Inverness. They're open seven days a week from 6pm to 10pm. Gemma, there's no doubt you were in a really dark and difficult place. So I'm really intrigued to know how and when you started to turn things around and have change in your life. Um, I suppose, like I said at the start, um, the journey wasn't straight. It wasn't a straight line. Um, I certainly think it, it helped when I went into hospital. Um, it, it helped, I suppose, getting that diagnosis, on getting an understanding um, and, and getting that support. But it... It, it didn't, you know. It took it took a, for a long time after um, for for me to to really, um, I suppose, really sort of tackle it. Um, I think I think it wasn't until I I went to uni, um, and again, you know, I had I wasn't living at home. I had my independence, I had my autonomy, you know, I could do what I liked um, and, and things got, you know, things got very, very bad again, you know, particularly bad. Um, but also, you know, it was around that time that I was really starting to see the effect that it had had because it had had such a huge impact, had, had a, a huge impact on my exams and on my schooling and, and I was doing the same thing to, you know, to, to to my university and and I felt like I you know again that I wasn't doing a <laughs> I was I was failing myself it, it got to that point where I thought you know this is this going to be my whole life is is this going to be is this going to be everything that you know I, I achieve and actually I, I I wanted something I wanted normality I wanted relationships I wanted um, I, I wanted to be free I, I just felt like I had this weight on my shoulders it was such a such a heavy weight that I was carrying all the time and I feel that that was probably that was hiding it from everybody it was um, you know trying to look the right way for my, my my parents it was you know trying to hide things from uni it was trying to hide things from friends it was it was trying to hide things from myself and and I, and I couldn't do it um, and I think that's when the change came. It, 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 it came. I, I don't want to live my life like this. And um, and you know, even though I had been, you know, I had had sort of a, my diagnosis a few years before that. You know, it, it took a long time for it for that to make sense. I suppose, you know, for for it to to resonate that actually what I was doing was was really self-sabotage it was it was sabotaging my own life and actually if I wanted to get on with my life and I wanted to do all the things that I wanted to do I had to overcome this um, and I think at the same time I had I'd, I'd gotten involved um, I'd been part of I, I, had, I had been seeing um, I, I'd still been in um, you know um, support 
um, and, and still receiving sort of medical care. Um, I, started, I started attending a peer support group, which was great. And again, it was, it was, it was um, you know, people in the same boat as myself. We were all the same age. We were all at uni. We all, you know, and, and, and actually it was nice to be able to talk about it and, and to not feel so, you know, embarrassed or, you know, ashamed. These are people that were going through the exact same thing as me and, and, and that my feelings weren't just mine, that actually other people understood what I was going through. That was huge. Um, and that was definitely, I think, the first step, you know, and, and, and we worked as a group, as a, as a peer support group, you know, we were really, really there for each other. Um, but also working through some of our, our, our own, I suppose, challenges around our, our bodies and actually having somebody tell you they're not, you know, you know, your positives are you being positive about somebody else and, and seeing people for what they are, you know, as, as people rather than as a, as a body shape or, or looking in a certain way. It, it, was, it, it definitely was the start of, of my recovery, definitely. It must, I mean, I can imagine it, it, it must have been amazing to be able to talk about all this when you'd lived in this kind of world of silence and hidden away and this secretive world. Um, I mean, I can just imagine that feeling quite extraordinary. Yeah. After what, where you'd been. Yeah, it, it was, again, it went back to that feeling of that weight on my shoulders. It was a complete entrapment. Um, it, it, and and it, was, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible because I just thought this, this isn't just, this is how I wanted to live. And, and I used to think, again, I used to have these thoughts that if I could just, I just wanted to erase myself. I just wanted to erase myself out of my life. Um, I, I didn't, I, I just didn't want to be around anymore because it was, it was just, it was so tiring, you know, just getting up and, and, and you know, just battling this every day was so tiring. And I just thought if I could just, if I could just erase myself from my life, it would, you know, and, and actually, you know, you, you can't do that. And, and, and thankfully, at around the same time, you know, that's where um, I think the table started to turn. And as I said, I, I, was, I was getting some really good medical support at that time. And, and also that peer support element of it was just, just huge. Just being able to speak to somebody, just being able to say, and it wasn't easy. It definitely wasn't easy at first, not at all. Um, but, but, but when I heard other people having the same thoughts as me, and, and, and feeling exactly the same and thinking, oh my God, I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone. Other people feel this way too. It was really freeing. It was, it was, it was really, really freeing. Was there a point that you shifted from feeling like a failure because you decided you were a failure to realizing it was what you were doing to yourself that was leading to you not getting the results you wanted in exams or school or university or whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a subtle shift, but do you remember that sort of shift in, it's not me, it's what I'm doing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that, was part of the, that was part of the game changer, I suppose, in, in terms of my recovery. But also, as time progressed, you know, and, and again, it, um, it took, my eating disorder was a, you know, it, I, I don't know when it, I can't say the day that I stopped 
having it or, or that I stopped, you know, that I stopped binging or I stopped purging. But it, there was certainly a point where I started to become very, very self-aware that actually what I'm doing isn't a coping mechanism. Actually, what it's doing is it's making everything worse. And I thought it was, I, I thought it was the answer to everything and the solution and and actually it, it was the problem and 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 that was what really then helped me to sort of um you know to, to overcome you know the, the behaviors that I was I was doing you know it was it was that fact that you know it's it, it, it you know it, it, it was just it was just adding to the problem it wasn't it wasn't it was going to make me feel better but it wasn't going to make me feel better for long and long term and and it's it's funny now, you know, because it, I, I, I experienced, you know, my, my eating disorder for a very long time. You know, this, this is going into my, you know, my twenties, and and I, and I think I really only had a handle on it in my mid twenties, um, and it was that kind of, you know, it, it, by the, by the end, by the time I, I felt that I'd really, I, I was becoming okay, it, it was almost like, why would I want to do this to myself? Why would I want to, you know, so, so that changed, you know, um, ask, you know, questioning myself why, you know, and, and having that self-awareness that, that it was really, really damaging to me. Which um, sounds like you started to like yourself a bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think over, over the years that came with that came acceptance. You know, it was this acceptance that this is who I am and, and, and actually, you know, I'm never going to look like, you know, some of these people on the magazines. And actually that's okay, but but it was a more sort of nuanced things like, you know, I don't have to I don't have to do this, that or the other thing. I don't have to achieve this. I don't have to be X, Y, or Z. I can just be me. That 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 was the true acceptance, you know, and, and, and that was the point where I realised this, you know, this started as something about my body. But actually, it was so much more. It was it was about me as a person. It was about who my identity. It was about who I represented. What I, what, you know, what I, what I thought I was. You know, um, and that was that was huge. And that acceptance of myself was was definitely the start of of, of sort of saying why why do I why do I want to damage my body? Why do I want to why do I want to carry this weight? Why do I want to have this inner critic in my head? You know, it's it's not helping me. Um, and that was that was huge. That was that was a huge turning point. Do you think there was anything in particular that allowed you to start accepting and liking yourself? Um, because it's it almost sounds like you were addicted to not liking yourself. So I'm just wondering what, if there were particular things that helped you, that you know others might take um, inspiration from. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never looked at I looked at it like that. <laughs> um, right, addicted to, to not, not liking, liking yourself. myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you seem to be a bit addicted to being horrible to yourself. Let's put it that way. But at the time, I didn't see it as being horrible. I thought it was, you know, it was almost an act of kindness. I was doing myself, you know, and that's where it changed. It was mm. it was understanding what this was doing to my body. It was understanding what it was doing to my my mind. It was understanding what it was doing to my life. You know, it was holding me back essentially. Um, and when I recognised that actually, you know, when I was doing, you know, when I was getting out and I was enjoying life and I was doing the things that actually my eating disorder had held me back from, from for so long, 
and experiencing life and, and experiencing people and experiencing um, just living and, and recognizing that I didn't have to fit a certain category. I didn't have to, you know, uh, I could be who I wanted to be. I didn't have to be. And also, you know, recognizing that it was impossible. You know, there was, uh, I suppose that acceptance came that I am me. I, I can't change that. I, 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 I can try and I can fight it, but actually I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being who I am. I'm, I'm okay with that. And, and that's definitely the time, I, I, you know, around the time that I, I just, yeah, I definitely thought, I don't want to do this to myself anymore. I don't, I want to, I want to care for myself. I want to love myself. I saw it for, um, you know, the self-sabotage, that horrible, horrible, unkind thing that I was doing to myself. You said something very interesting. We talked before meeting today. We had a, a brief chat and lots of things you said jumped out at me. But one thing in particular I wrote down and you said, it's made me who I am. Mm -hmm. And that really snagged me. And I was interested to just unpick that a little bit. How do you think this really terrible experience and, and prolonged, you know, desperately sad experience for a young woman has made you who you are? Yeah, um, I think I look at my life now and I'm really happy. I'm really happy. I'm going to get really upset when I say that. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm happy. Um, and, and I spent so long where I wasn't happy where I was so miserable and so sad and so almost, you know, as I said, this weight, this horrible, horrible weight on my shoulders. And I, and I guess that's why I want to talk about this. And, you know, is, is that there is hope. It, it does get better. Um, and, and for me, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's just having, you know, it's not having a, a hugely exciting life or, but it's about enjoying life and enjoying the people around me, enjoying my family, having, you know, developing really good relationships with people, not always having to be a, you know, almost keeping myself, you know, because I, I always had felt I had to hide a part of myself because, you know, because I was, I was hiding, you know, I had, I was, I was living a lie for some, you know, for, for some time, sometimes. And, and yeah, it, it's just that, that freedom and, and I, you know, I, all of the things, you know, I have, you know, I have, I, I'm, you know, I think now, I think when I look back now and as a teenager um, and as somebody, you know, all of the things that I maybe wanted back then, I don't want now, but I have, you know, all of the things that I thought were important, you know, actually they're not, you know, they're not that important. Having people around you who love you, you know, being able to, to go out and enjoy life, being happy in yourself. Actually, that is, that, that's, that's been the greatest gift that this has, this has given me. And I, and I don't, and for that reason, I, yeah, I, I, I feel like it has made me who I am. I'm a, I, you know, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't had the seating disorder. I won't know what way my life would have gone, but actually I can sit here now and say, you know, I'm happy in myself, I'm a happy person, um, I have a great life, I have a great job, you know, I, um, I have great people around me and I, I do great things and, and, and I'm happy in myself. Um, you know, I'm loved and I love and um, yeah, 
all of those things that I felt that I I would never achieve that I, I you know that I would never that nobody would ever love me or that nobody would ever like me or that I would never be you know I just yeah I'm not a failure um I guess and that's what I thought I was when I was when I was definitely in the height of my eating disorder I thought I was in everything I did I thought I was a failure and actually there's something as well around you know what we see as as failure because actually it's not it's not if I could go back and tell myself you know 10 years ago you know yeah, yeah. I, I don't, <laughs> don't really know how to end that <laughs> I'm not a failure is just fine Gina. <laughs> you know what it, it it I've talked to a lot of people for this series and this has been a, a truly inspiring conversation. We're both sitting here with tears in our eyes now. <laughs> and I'm so delighted to, to see you sitting here so well and so obviously happy. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you, and thank you for letting me speak. And I would say to anybody who is listening right now, um, please reach out if this resonates, if anything that I have said resonates with you please reach out to somebody go and seek help don't be trapped in this it's it's not worth it it really really isn't worth it and and there's lots of help and there's lots of support out there and and you know you have to you have to take that first step that's so it's the most difficult part um but you know it's 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 crucial um, and I would, I would just say, you know, d don't give up on yourself and, and you're not. The things that you think you are, you are not. You are not. I was talking to the remarkable Gemma. Listening alongside me is Shona McPherson from Mikey's Line. Shona, Gemma had to battle to be heard over cars, sirens, airplanes, everything a busy city could throw at us while we recorded but I thought her message still came across really loud and clear. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. I hardly noticed the other stuff. <laughs> but yeah, there's something very raw and real about the telling of Gemma's story. And I was so struck. It stayed with me. I don't know how long has passed since she's had these experiences, but it, there's a real freshness. The way she spoke about the shame this hiddenness, the secrecy of this life that she was living. And, yeah, just thinking through the courage that it took to break that cycle of having this, this part of her life that was so controlling. And yet that step, she had the courage to move from the hiddenness of it to telling family, medical professionals, and then from their support groups and showing any of us listening that that support makes all the difference. It's so, so hard to do this stuff on our own. But by breaking that shame cycle, by bringing in empathy and non-judgment, change can happen. And you can just hear the, the difference, the shift, the aliveness in her life now, has she, having escaped that entrapment. And it brought to mind a quote um, that it'll just briefly read. This is a quote from Chimanda Adachi. We have a world full of women who are unable to exhale fully because they have for so long conditioned themselves to fold themselves into shapes to make themselves likeable. And when Gemma was looking with hindsight, 
She said this wasn't even just about body image. This went much deeper to identity. And um, just so I just celebrate her, her courage for sharing that with us. And the final thing to say is she talked about having suicidal thoughts and making an attempt on her life. And statistically, there is a much higher risk. More, I didn't realise this until doing the reading, but more than any other uh, mental illness, um, eating disorders uh, really increase that risk. So anyone listening just now, if you're struggling with your eating and or struggling with suicidal thoughts, please, please don't be alone with the secrecy, the shame. Please find someone you trust. And um, Mikey's line is here for you as well. Thank you. Thanks, Sheila. Don't forget, it's okay not to be okay. And if you need someone to talk to, as Shona said, you can text Mikey's line on 07786 207755 or contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter. And the number for WhatsApp is 01463 729 That's Sunday to Thursday, 6pm to 10pm, Friday to Saturday, 7pm to 7am. Or you can go and visit them at The Hive, 19 Academy Street, Inverness. They're open seven days a week from 6pm to 10pm. Speaking of Suicide is funded by Mikey's Line and the platform is sponsored by Highland-based family firm D&D Paving Limited. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, do get in touch. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear from you. Speaking of Suicide is produced by Adventurous Audio Limited. (laughs) 